Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best in the brightest world of business, entrepreneurship, and professional hockey to help you harness your own inner tenacity and drive your career forward. I'm thrilled about this one, folks. My guest today on the podcast is former NHL Hall of Fame defenseman Chris Pronger. Chris, Chris was drafted second overall by the Hartford Whalers in 93 and also played for the Blues, the Oilers, the Ducks, and my heated heated Philadelphia Flyers. I'm an Islander and Sabres fan, so I hate the Flyers. Our Flyers colors on for you. Uh, we'll, we'll let that one go. And he's appeared in the Stanley Cup Finals with three different teams and won the Cup with the Ducks in 2007. He also won the Hart Memorial Trophy as the NHL's most valuable player for the 99-2000 CM. A mainstay on Team Canada, Chris won Olympic gold medals at the 2002 and 10 Winter Olympic Games and is a member of the Triple Gold Club. Pretty cool. And I'd literally be here for the next 20 minutes if I list all of his accolades. But Chris is a force and a force of nature, so I'm excited to dig in. Chris Pronger, welcome to the podcast, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I am thrilled to have you here, and some of the folks here may know you. Um, right after we talked, I, I texted a couple of my friends who are hockey buddies. We grew up as Islander fans and Sabres fans, and I'm like, dude, you have a Pronger on? All right, let's let's. And we started sending videos. We started sending videos back and forth to each other, and there was there was one, and I'll get to it in a little bit. It was an interview you did where you completely like. I don't know. We'll, we'll get to it. You, you, this guy was, was talking shit to you. I, I forgot his name. I'll bring it up in a minute. And um, the way you handled it, man, it was like stand-up comedy. And, you, and it, was, <laughs> it, was, it was pure brilliance. And, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But I want to talk about your upbringing, man. You grew up um, in a pretty remote part of Canada where hockey really wasn't on TV all the time. But that's what the kids did, right? Out on, out on the pond all day. Tell, tell us a little bit about that, that upbringing. And yeah. was that kind of like that outsider mentality that you carried through with you? Yeah, you know, from a super small town in northwestern Ontario, uh, about a 20-hour drive from Toronto, so no, I'm not from the hockey mecca. <laughs> um, we Every Saturday night, we'd watch Hockey Night in Canada, and that was kind of our thing. Uh, outside of that, we just played the game. You know, we'd, we'd play road hockey. My brother and I would shoot pucks at, uh, outside near the garage. Uh, we'd play in the basement. We'd play at the outdoor rink. Uh, obviously, structured practice and games at the Dryden Arena. Uh, but otherwise it was just kind of something we did with our friends every day, whether it was, uh, spring, summer, fall, winter, um, we were always active and outdoors. So this is interesting. I had, um, Dave Scatchard on the show, uh, a, n- a number of months ago, and, and, and I assume you're familiar with his story, kind of similar, yeah. getting, getting injured on the ice and ending his career. And we'll get to that in a little bit. But the part that was really interesting to me, was like hockey was kind of like the only choice growing up in that area. And he kind of felt that he was forced to be physical and forced to be tough because that was part of the game. Did you feel the same way or is that something kind of in you already? Like he kind of, he had to find it and almost felt like an actor out there. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's me <laughs> 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 on the ice, on the ice, you know, I think just competitive and, and uh, always played with an edge from a young age. And you know, that, that's, that's kind of how I just learned to play the game and, and, you know, play physical, play hard, uh, uh, you know, play at a high level and just compete and, and want to play against the best and test yourself against the best. Absolutely. And, and going up the ladder there, like, what was that feeling, man, when you get drafted? There's a quote I think you said somewhere, you're like, no one remembers a second draft pick, right? Like, uh, no, what, that was Alexander Digg that made that quote. And oh, he, he made that quote. Yes. Valuable lesson. <laughs> Don't speak so, too early. Yeah, exactly. And, and, <laughs> and, and tell us a little bit about that feeling getting drafted. Uh, you know, I mean, that's every kid's dream in Canada, right? Like, you know, getting drafted to the NHL. Yeah, what was that for, feeling like for you and your family? It was, it was special. You know, we had a lot of friends and family there. I think, go, I think knowing going into the draft, you're going to go, 
you know, top five, probably top three, uh, was a good feeling. You know, you're not going to have to sit around and, and wait too long. Uh, but at the same time, it's still stressful. It's still exciting. And, and you're just waiting for that rush of emotions when your name gets called. And, and certainly one step of your dream come true to, to get drafted and, and then to, you know, figure out where you're going to have to go earn a job and, and uh, play the game that you love. So were you, were you excited about going to Connecticut to go and play for the Whalers at the time? Or was there like this dream team that you wanted to be drafted by? Or you didn't really give a shit? I, I really didn't care at that point. You know, I was, uh, I was excited to be drafted. You know, Hartford had moved up from the sixth spot to pick me at two. And uh, they were excited to have me. And, and I was excited to have the opportunity. You know, I think it's, it's merely just looking at it as an opportunity to continue to get better and, and test yourself against the best players in the world. And, um, you know, Hartford was uh, an interesting spot, but uh, that's where I got my beginning. It's interesting, too. I mean, you, you felt wanted, right? Like, they, they traded up to get you. They, you didn't just fall to them. They didn't wait to say, all right, let's see who's around. at the, at the They traded up. They wanted you. They showed that commitment. So that had to tell you something. That also probably had to tell you that, hey, listen, I'm coming into the league. I got to step up and show up. Do you do you recall your first game stepping onto the ice? I'd love to hear what that was like. Well, preseason. If you can remember. I played all, I played all seven preseason games. And then, uh, and then we had a little bit of a protracted uh, contra- uh, negotiation over my contract, right. which went down to the uh, – the wire, uh, you know, there's a signing date before at that time, there was a signing date before, uh, if you weren't signed by, I think it was October 1st or whatever the date was, uh, if you weren't signed by that date at midnight, uh, you couldn't play that year. So my contract negotiations went right down to like 1140 Jeez. that evening. And, uh, ultimately we, we got the contract done, but, uh, it was, uh, <laughs> there was, there was some, uh, some stress levels and, and, uh, it was, uh, you know, I was already kind of in my head planning out what I was going to be doing. I was at that time I was going to play on the Olympic team. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was 1994. So that, I think that was Lilyhammer was 94 Lilyhammer in Norway. Yeah. Uh, I think. And then, uh, so I was going to go to the Olympics, obviously play junior. I was going to bounce around a little bit and, and, you know, continue to try to develop. And, uh, thankfully we got the contract done and, and, uh, I was able to, to start my career and, and kind of get acclimated to the NHL. And who, who was that dude that welcomed you the hard way the first time, your first <laughs> NHL fight, man? You got to remember your first time. You're like, shit, I got to throw it down uh, now. Yeah, I didn't, yeah, that's a good, uh, you know what? I don't remember. Um, I mean, someone had to challenge you. It wasn't like Ty Domi, but someone. Yeah, no, I, my first NHL goal was against your vaunted Islanders and Ron Hextall. That was nice. <laughs> Hextall. <laughs> Hextall. I mean, the first, Right, like so. So let's take it back to that moment, and you had to remember that, right? Like, because that's every kid's dream when you're when you're on the ice in the pond, twenty hours from from Toronto, and you're and you're shooting on your friends there, and and you're emulating some of your favorite players on the ice and how they celebrate. Like that first goal, man. Take us back yeah, to that it moment. Was, it was special. I mean, it, it wasn't exa- it wasn't exactly an end end rush. <laughs> I got the puck at the blue line. I walked the blue line like maybe one or two steps, and then. Uh, you know, ripped it through uh, screen, and he was he was catching air as it hit the net. So it was nice, but uh, it was nice to get it against Hexy, who obviously, you know, had a storied career up to that point and his time in Philly, and and then with the Islanders. So it was uh, it was nice to get it against him, and and you know, against a player that that had the name recognition and and not oh, I scored against you know some random. It was against Ron. No, Hexel. it's Hextall. Yeah, that was, that was my only team. Let's see if I can remember. It was like Steve Thomas, Pierre Turgeon, Casparitis. Uh, uh, who was that thug on that team? Mick Vakoda. Oh, Mick Vakoda, dude. That guy, he could barely skate, man. But he could, <laughs> he could, right? Every team, every team's got one of those. That that was that was my team back in the day. That had to be the worst arena to go to, the Coliseum. Nassau Coliseum, yeah, the Mausoleum. It was, uh, it was, yeah, it was it was old school. Well, let's just use that term. <laughs> Still there, man. Dude, they've tried multiple times. They're trying to turn into a casino. What's that? Work into it, right? Didn't they fix it all up? Dude, you could put lipstick on a pig, but it's still the Coliseum, man. This is true. They 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 just changed the outside and they fixed up the bathrooms, but no one plays there. The Islanders are now in the UBS arena on the border of uh, Queens and uh, Long Island, man. Beautiful arena. Give a chance to check that out. So moving on. I mean, 
two years in and, and, and the Whalers trade you, right? They trade you for Brendan Shanahan. I mean, he, he's, yeah. a, he's a legend as well there too. Um, were you, were you like cool with that? Like, what was that like? Like shit, like, like these guys wanted me and now they traded me. Uh, it was, it was my welcome to the business side of hockey. That summer I was given the, uh, the term, you're our franchise player. We are not looking to trade you. And of course I then go home and, you know, train a little bit and have some fun and fish and golf and do whatever. And I was fishing with our head coach, Paul Holmgren, uh, for a few days. And then he got to Thunder Bay as he was flying home, called into the office and, uh, our GM, Jim Rutherford told him that he had just traded me. <laughs> So that was nice. Spent three yeah. days up in uh, northwestern Ontario fishing muskie and walleye, and then uh, basically got told the player he was just with got dealt. So let's talk about your time in St. Louis and and, and under Coach Keenan. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here. I mean, he he whipped you into shape. He did. He uh, he did. You know, it was probably the best thing for my career. I think when you look back on on his tenure as a head coach throughout Philly, Chicago, New York. Um, you know, then St. Louis at that point, uh, he certainly had guys that he would pick on the team and kind of, you know, beat them down and then build them back up. And, and certainly fitness was a big, big component of that. And, um, you know, I think that was really the start of me taking my game to that next level. And then I took it from there, but, uh, it was not an easy first year in St. Louis. There was a lot of boo birds on home soil mm. and, uh, it was tough, but you know what? It, it hardened me up. It, it, when you go through, through things like that, it, it certainly uh, made me a tougher player mentally and physically and, and allowed me to kind of really come into my own and, and, and decide for myself what type of player I wanted to be and then put the work in, put the time and effort in to, to hone your skills and, and get your body right in order to play the style that I played and, and play it at a high level for 82 games plus the playoffs. It's a, it's a lot. And correct me if I'm wrong, that's when Gretzky – came on late in, onto that team, right? Correct. What was it What was it like to play with with the, the great one? And what did you learn from a leadership perspective from him? Well, I think him coming in at the time when he did it, it you know, just prior, just prior to the deadline, it, it gave me a reprieve from the Boo Birds because everybody was excited to see him and they mm -hmm. forgot about me. So it allowed me a little bit of time to kind of get my feet underneath me, give my mental clarity uh, a breather and kind of, flush, flush that out. And, and, uh, you know, I just got back to playing the game and, and obviously learning from him and seeing how he handled the media, interacted with his teammates, interacted with the fans and, and kind of just the, the traveling road show that was, uh, I'm the great sure. one at that point. Uh, it was a great learning experience. And, and certainly, uh, you know, as I look back on my career, he really, uh, having that opportunity to play with him really helped my career out a lot. What was, I mean, aside from Wayne Gretzky, who else was it in your career that you really looked up to as far as like how they led and not, not the coaches, I'm talking about your, your teammates, how they led on the ice, how they led by example. And, and even how you kind of think about it now, like how those leadership lessons transcend into entrepreneurship, which we'll get to in a minute. Yeah. I think, you know, as a young fiery captain, I was 23 years old and, and, you know, had the chance to, to play with some, you know, Gretzky's of the world and, Legends. um, you know, here in St. Louis, played with Brett Hall and, and Al McInnes and Jeff Cortnall and Grant Fuhr and, you know, some legends of the game at, at, at a young age. So I was able to kind of sit back and kind of soak it all in uh, early in my career. And then I was given the captaincy at 23 and, you know, still fairly green at that point for the NHL in that era. There wasn't a lot of young players. And so, you know, kind of working my way through it and I think as my career went along, I got the opportunity to play with Lemieux in the O2 Olympics, uh, you know, Gretzky and, and Iserman and, and Sackick awesome. and players like that in 98 during the Olympics. And so, you know, as I got a chance to just kind of watch, sit back and kind of, you know, be a fly on the wall and, and see how they handle themselves, how they deal with the media, how they prepare for games and practices and things of that nature, you're able to kind of soak it all in how they handle situations and experiences during the course of a game and, and what they're saying, what they're not saying and, and things like that. So you're kind of soaking it all in and, and, and being a sponge. And, and, and by the time I got traded from here, I got to Edmonton, you, you're learning more to listen than you are to, uh, to speak and maybe scream and yell and maybe try to motivate and things of that nature. And you're just kind of 
feeling it out and, and seeing uh, when the right time is to speak. How did, how did you manage off the ice relationships? How did you manage, you know, friends and, and, and loved ones being on the road all the time and, and trying to keep in, in, in touch? I mean, that's gotta be hard. I mean, I've had other professional athletes on and they say that's, that's one of the hardest things to do is to say, focus in the game and also give your, you know, about to, you know, start a family and get married and yeah. all that and develop relationships. That's gotta be tough, Chris. It is hard. It's super hard, especially when you're committed and focused to your craft and focused to developing and getting better. And uh, it, it takes a lot. You have to be fully immersed in your sport and your loved ones and your family are secondary at some point during the course of that. And, and it takes a toll. Um, you know, that's you have to choose the right people uh, to kind of connect with uh, friends, family, loved ones. Uh, wife, kids, all that stuff. It's it's uh, it's never easy. Uh, that's for sure. You know, I think we've seen that time and time again. Uh, it, it takes its toll, especially during a long career. And then you get moved, and you immediately get twenty two friends when you walk into a locker room. In your town, they're they're left either to pack up and move, or they're coming along and don't know a soul. So it's uh, it it can be a daunting task at times, and and certainly. Uh, they're the ones that bear the brunt of it when you're playing and, and having fun and, and doing what you love to do and, and, and as a passion, and, and they're along for the ride. And, and, and obviously hockey's a, a brotherhood, but what's it like when you get traded and that first time you walk into the new locker room and, and maybe a week ago you were you know beating the crap out of each other? Is that just kind of par for the course? And you're like, hey, man, let's hug it out. Yeah, it's yeah, not all the time. You know, sometimes no. it can be hard to, to turn the page and you know, I know when I went to, to Anaheim, we had just played them in the conference finals when I was with Edmonton. And uh, there was some heated exactly. moments, and, and, and so it was certainly a rivalry. Uh, but, you know, you, you go in knowing we're teammates now. And, and you know, I think when, you know, Tamu Salina and I were always butted heads, and John O'Donnell and I, you know, had butted heads in the playoffs. And, and there was a few guys that you have run-ins with. And um, you know, I think for me and Timo that first day when we got in, I, my brother had played with him in Anaheim, so I knew him a little bit, but still wanted to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, it's funny, I just talked about it, but, uh, you know, you come in, you hug it out. You're like, you kind of let the group know, like you, mm -hmm. we can turn the page, you guys can cut the cord and, and, and everybody can be fine. So it was, uh, you know, a couple tense moments, but. But after the first couple of days, first couple of days of practice, and every kind of everybody kind of files in line and and yep. uh, and understands kind of how the, how we're going to work, it, it it becomes a non-issue. So I got I have a couple of hockey questions here that I have to kind of check the box on. Comparing winning the Stanley Cup and hoisting that up versus winning the gold medal, could you rank one higher as a, as an accomplishment than the other, or are they so such unique? They're both experiences. Yeah, they're they're both incredibly unique and both completely different. You know, one you spend ten months of your life towards winning the Stanley Cup, and you're immersed in it—the blood, sweat, and tears, the the heartache, you know, the injuries. The, it, it just ten months is an incredibly long time to try to win something. It's a long season. Hockey yeah, season's long. And then it's the longest in pro sports. And then you get the Olympics, where you're there for two weeks. It's a, I think it's 13 or 14 days total, maybe 15. It's quick. And from the time you get there, practice, play, practice, play, play, practice, and then you're in the medal rounds and you're just go, 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 go. You don't really get – it's unique and it's amazing. And when you win, it's incredible. When you lose, it sucks. But it's so fast and everything goes so quickly uh, that a lot of times you don't really have a chance to really soak it all in and, and enjoy the experience and enjoy it all because you're just go, 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 go and going to the next game, going to that practice, just kind of trying to recover. You're in the middle of your season, so mm -hmm. you're already exhausted. And then you're kind of bouncing traveling. around and traveling around. And, you know, especially when you got to fly to Europe and fly to some yeah. of these places, you're jet lagged and, and all that kind of stuff. So it it's, it takes its toll on you. But but when you win, that euphoric moment is, is incredible. It's all worth it. Yeah. And, 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 and that feeling when you hoisted the Stanley Cup, man, again, like every kid's dream, right? Take us, take us to that moment. Yeah. It, uh, you know, you finally win. You know, luckily for us, we had uh, scored a six goal. So we were winning 6 2 with, I don't know, six minutes left. So yeah, it was pretty we much done. Win, and it was just like killing time and out there. 
uh, you know, finishing the game. And, and you could see the buzz in, in the Honda Center was, was kind of elevating with each minute that, that, that's coming off the clock. And as you get closer and closer and you know it's coming and, and you know, the, the clock strikes zero and, uh, you know, everybody piles off the bench and into the, the scrum and, um, you know, it, it's an incredible feeling. And then to get the cup and, and uh, be able to raise it over your head is, is something that every kid dreams of. And especially when they play hockey, it's, it's, I didn't grow up thinking I had the opportunity to play in the Olympics and win a gold Love medal. It. I grew up thinking I was going to win a Stanley Cup. And everything revolved around winning a Stanley Cup. So it was, uh, you know, a dream come true. What did you do with your night with the cup? I had, uh, I got the cup. A couple times, I took it back home to to Dryden and and uh, showed it off and took photos with everybody and and did that did that and then I had it again in uh, California. I had a a big cup party and uh, had the band Sugar Ray come play and oh nice local Newport Beach guys they came and uh, gave up a part of their night to come shred uh, shred with us and and it was uh, it was an incredible experience and uh, probably one of the top five all time cups parties from what i understand oh shit so uh, it, uh, it was pretty epic <laughs> did those did those two dudes come with you everywhere or do you have the cup by yourself uh, oh do you mean the cup guys the, the cup dudes yeah 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 one one is with it at all times like he's next to you in the bedroom next to you just standing uh, there oh well he's, he's, he's around <laughs> he's, he's it's around. a fun one so, so fun fact, I, I interned for the, I, I went to University of Buffalo and I interned for the Sabres when I was up there. Um, and I had the opportunity to, to kind of meet the guys. Dom, that was like the Dominic Hasek era uh, at the time who literally welcomed me into the locker room. And I sat on the couch next to him watching NASCAR for an hour. Fun nice. fact, Dominic Hasek loves NASCAR. And he was just so welcoming and, and warm and everything. But that was a year that they lost to, um, uh, Dallas, to, the, to, the, to Dallas when Hall okay. kicked the puck in. And I was well, the guy. No, he didn't on, kick it in. He didn't kick it in. He had his toe in the crease. But it deflected off his. Yeah. No, no, no he, he didn't kicked it up to his stick and put it in. But his foot his was over the crease. Line. The crease. Yeah, and bu Buffalo Stupid. was not happy about that. No, and no. they didn't even have time to review it, and that place erupted. But I was on the. I was on opening the door for the cup to come in. That was my job, and I was getting pelted with everything you could imagine because they were throwing shit at the cup. <laughs> so that was one of my highlights, one of my hockey highlights, my, my claim to theme there. Hi, everyone. I want to tell you about MetaView, a platform that uses AI to automatically write your interview notes for you. I've been using MetaView on my own interviews, and it's been a game changer for my efficiency and ability to have high quality conversations with candidates. I could focus on conversations rather than on taking notes. MetaView's interview summaries are purpose built for recruiting, so they're 10x more accurate and relevant than generic transcription tools. And they work seamlessly with your existing recruiter stack, video conferencing tools, and even mobile calls. So there's no need to change your existing workflows. Join recruiters at companies like Replit, Scale, and Brex and see the magic for yourself. Head on over to metaview.ai backslash podcast, P-O-Z-C-A-S-T, to get started with your first five interviews for free. Check it out. I want to like kind of plow through the, the hockey stuff and get to the to where you are now. Um, toughest opponent on the ice as far as throwing the thrown fist, man. Oh God, who, who gave uh, you a hard time? <laughs> that wasn't my job. <laughs> uh, I played with Tony Twist, and arguably could have been the hardest. Punch. Him and Co Joey Kosher were the two hardest punchers in the league, bar none. They 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 didn't let up. Uh, no, it was uh, every ounce of their fiber was going into every punch. <laughs> you felt it. Yes, Jeez. you were going to feel it. If they connect, you're going to feel it. Jeez. So speaking of, of connecting, um, you, you took a lot of hits. You, you gave out a lot of hits. And I want to talk about the time that you got hit in the chest and went down. And I watched the clip a few minutes before, and it's scary. What's it like now when, when, you, when you see that clip again? What kind of memories does that bring up? Yeah, I, I remember the incident. You know, I remember the, you know, when it hit me, it was, it stung a little bit. You know, I lost my breath. You know, I covered the puck up, got the whistle. Came down. And then in my head, I'm like, all right, just get up, get to the bench. Don't let these fans in Detroit see on the ice. You know, that type of mentality. And, and in my head, I'm telling myself to get up, but I black out. But on the video, you can see I stand up. I kind of start going and then crumple, down I go. Uh, next thing you know, I wake up and I'm kind of looking up at the banners above me and I'm looking over at the bench and guys are crying and, you know, I, I didn't really know what was going on. 
uh, and then uh, and then got in the ambulance and told them, you know, my parents are at the game. I'm like, you got to tell them I'm okay. Yeah. Uh, and then you know, spent the night in the hospital and and uh, and then got flew back to St. Louis and started you know doing all the hard stuff and checking out to see what what actually happened. You know, you know, was I going to be okay? What was the what was the whole extent of it? But this is this is the same for anyone listening out there. It's the same injury that we saw the Bills, Demar Hamlin, go through, and and he was out the rest of the season. Do you think back then you you came back too quickly? Uh, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I was out for about 20 seconds. Um, I was given a clean, uh, clean bill of health. So I, I, I don't think so. <laughs> As I talked to the heart doctor, we went, you know, I, I wore a heart monitor for 24 hours. I, um, I you did all the tests. You did I it did all. all I, tests. I did a whole pile of stress tests. I, you know, I talked to her about short-term effects long-term effects could this happen again you know all that kind of stuff and she was basically like there's so many things that have to happen in sequence and you be hit at the exact moment after all these things have happened before your heart's beat it's nanoseconds and she's like it's like winning the lottery and Jeez. and you know, it. it happens it happens to little league players it happens to you know mm -hmm. younger younger kids a lot just because they're not fully formed and developed and things of that nature. And the next person that had happened to in pro sports was Demar Hamlin 25 years later. I mean, so, yeah, that's that's a long period know, of time. It 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 happens very infrequently and and it well, and it's merely just a timing thing. Yeah, there was um a kid in my town in Long Island, a younger kid, his name was Robbie, and it was a number of years ago playing Little League and he got hit and he lost his life. And they have yeah. a every year they have a thing called Robbie's Run. And they, they raise money for research and everything. So yeah. it is it is pretty serious. As, um, as, as I researched it, it, it happens a lot to Little League baseball players. They get either the pitcher gets a line drive back and hits him in the chest. A third baseman coming in gets hit with a line drive. Um, it, 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 it happens more frequently to, to younger kids. Yeah, it's it's scary now. There's protection out there. So just getting back to hockey for a moment, like, you know, how is how do you think the league has changed? For, for for better and worse from where when since you retired well there's been a lot of uh changes in, in the well i guess more some rules have been changed some rules have been enforced more you know i think the the mentality of the player coming up through minor hockey you know that's where everything starts is through minor hockey it, it, it's hard to change something once you get to the nhl that's yeah, you're pretty play. set you're, you know, as you come through minor hockey and, and how you play the game and, and kind of what your mentality is and, and, and how you like to play the game. You know, everybody plays it differently. Um, some play more physically than others. You know, I would say at this stage, as you go through minor hockey, fewer and fewer kids are playing a physical, hard-nosed brand of hockey. That's, that's just the way the game's played now. So, therefore, when they come into the league, they're not playing that way. Um, but you know, but I isn't miss, that a crucial part of the game? Mentality. Like the self enforcement, like the, game. right? It's a physical game. Yeah. I mean, yes, you want to be safe. We haven't. We have modern advances in, in safety, and we don't want anyone to get hurt. But part of the game is hockey. Is that enforcement? Otherwise, players are going to take advantage of situations that they shouldn't. So it has to self regulate. That that yes. Um, you know, you see. You see all the time, player. You know, good, clean, open ice hit. The guy's got to fight. You see, you know, if somebody runs somebody from behind, go fight them. If somebody yeah. does something dirty, go fight them. If somebody spears a goalie, go fight them. Um, you know, but on a clean open ice hit or a clean hit along the boards, hitting is allowed. It's very good. People can be hit. Like when I first came in the league, it was like, kid, get your head up. You know, mm. you know, and yeah, they they might have went over and had a conversation and say, hey, don't touch them. And then if they had a problem, they'd be like, okay, well, let's go then. <laughs> but Did, it wasn't a a reaction to the actual hit. It was a conversation which led to tempers flaring, which led to okay, let's go. I I, th I don't think the fans hear all those conversations. I mean, I was privy to it because I got to spend a lot of time closely. I, there's a lot of talking in hockey. There there's is. a lot of conversations before the gloves come down. Did you have a conversation with Bieber before you smashed him into the boards at the All Star game? <laughs> I love. I have that picture. I shared it this morning. I showed it to everybody. Uh, your smile on your face. When you pushed him into the boards, man, you knew you were going to do that, right? But funny enough, I didn't even know the camera was there. 
Like, oh, I, it's such a good I, picture, man. <laughs> I had been playing. I had been kind of sticking with him in front of the net, and then the puck went into the corner, and he blindly started running in there. I'm like, oh boy, this look at kid, that smile. Uh, look at that smile. He's not ready for this. <laughs> and I put my my stick on his lower back and kind of just gave him the old "How's she going?" up and down his back, and he was like, <laughs> <A> massage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that that's a classic, man. And and you know, there has to come a time. And will you? You know, let, for the fans out there, you, you took a stick to the eye, which which pretty much ended the career. That's not how you wanted your story to end, right? No, I, I, I would also say that very, 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 very few people get to leave the sport, whatever sport it is, on their own terms. No, How many people are John Elway that went back-to-back -back Super Bowls and then retire? Yeah, on their Brady's own. pretty much the only one. Like, And even Brady, like people might say, well, he stayed one year too long. Well, we all say that. So... <laughs> I mean, it, it, you know, so the, every, every player is going to be very, you know, Gretzky left on it, left on his own accord, but I mean, who knows? Well, this is the interesting transition point. Cause I had this conversation about Brady and why he didn't want to retire It's for in one minute, you're going from being the absolute best or one of the best in class athletes at your sport. And then the next day you're not the next day. You're not, I mean, that's, I, I can't even imagine that. What was it like that, that, that first days, weeks, months after retirement when you were like, all right, that chapter of my life is over and what's next? I mean, you have yeah, kids, you have a it's, family. It's daunting. You know, I think for me, I got hurt in the middle of a contract, so I had time to try to figure it out. I had time to get healthy, uh, you know, work on my eye, my vestibular system, my concussion issues, uh, my body. You know, at that point, I think I'd had 13 surgeries. So... You know, it was just a, a, a I had a, a little bit of a runway to kind of get healthy. Uh, a lot of guys don't. They don't have that runway. So they're immediately looking for 2.0, 3.0, whatever it is. What can they do? Am I going to stay active? And, and they're just bouncing from one thing to the next because there's no real plan in place. And there's no idea of what you like to do. What What's a passion? Are you interested in business? Are you interested in coaching? Are you interested in staying in the game of hockey? Are you interested in doing something else? And so it's not until you're done and now you're thinking to yourself, what am I going to do? You know, and I think players need to understand that it's, it's a finite period of time when you can actually play pro sports. Some longer than others. Some careers get shortened because of injury or skill. And so how long that is, who knows? You never know. So it, it is uh, integral and, and important for players to think about life after immediately, you know, as much as. 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old doesn't want to think about life after. They have to start thinking about being smart with their money, thinking about what, what, what interests them outside the game, you know, reading books, reading the paper, understanding what's going on in the world to a certain degree. But also, you still have to perfect your craft and, right. and continue to develop and, and work at your whatever your sport is, work at your game and, and get better. And so it's, you know, it's 90% craft and, and how, how to develop and 10%, maybe not life after, but what interests you outside of the sport so that you have a little reprieve from the game and you're not driving yourself bananas, which I did early in my career. I used to think about every single loss or every mistake and it drives on it. around and, it, and, it, and sometimes it stunts your growth and development and, and you need a little bit of uh outside uh interaction so to speak where you're outside your little bubble that uh that you're immersed in when you're playing your sport and and you know you're able to kind of get away from it all well let's talk about that for a moment let's talk about the mental health element too and 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 correct me if i'm wrong here a lot of these guys in any sport especially hockey that's they, all they grew up with that's all they know a lot of them didn't get formal education they went from being 16 into the minors and hockey was their whole life and that's all they think about are you working now with some of the some of the the, the current players and and recent retirees on how to stay in the right mental frame, how to think about life after hockey? Let's talk about that for a moment. Yeah, um, you know that's something we talk about with the NHL alumni is how how to engage current players and and then you know alumni in in how to think about two point oh three point oh how to transition uh, into let's call it a regular citizen because you're not a pro athlete and you're not playing mm -hmm. a sport and you're 
you're back in the real world where you don't have a schedule. You don't, you know, you're used to being told where to go, what to do since the age of four or five. And, and somebody's taking you there and then you show up and then you do what you do. And then, you, you know, and you're immersed in it 24 seven. And now all of a sudden you need to figure out what you're going to do with your time and what's your schedule look like. And nobody's giving you a set schedule. You got to set it on your own. You got to do your own thing. You got to, you know, so it's more about use of your time and having structure and having an understanding of what allows you the best, best path to success. And, and for most well athletes, it's having structure. It's having an understanding of what, you know, what your day is going to consist of and, and making sure you set up a calendar to, to make uh, you have a similar feel and look to your day that you did when you were playing. Right. Because when you're a professional athlete, you know, there's a schedule. You got to be on the team bus. You got to be at practice. You got to be out of the hotel. You know when your free time is, which is which is not a lot during the regular season. And some players are able to adjust to it and, and, and some are not. So I want to talk about your time uh, after hockey in, in management in the front office with, with the Florida Panthers. What, what was what was that like to be sitting up in the press box now watching the game instead of being on the ice? Uh, well, you learn real fast. While you may help put the players on there, that's where that's where it ends. You know, you can't mm. make them play better. Um, you know, you mm. can't develop them. You know, you've got development staff for that. You've got coaches for the other part. You've got all that type of stuff. And and it's really, you know, you have to kind of extract yourself out of the the playing aspect and more about in the developing and, and kind of growing and building, you know, through that system. And so you have to really kind of you're immersed in it day to day, but you kind of have to extract yourself out of the wins and losses or it's going to eat you up. And you have what to think, about, you know, the steps that it takes to become a good team, a great team, a winning team, a cup winning team. And, and so it's, it's the development and watching the maturation process of the players and, and kind of seeing what their ceiling is. And then as you see that over and over, you get a better understanding of which players are in that open window and, how, you can, how can you go acquire them? What do you think you learned about yourself during that time in management before leaving? <laughs> yeah, patience. You know, I think as a, play, as a player, you have, you have a much bigger outcome on the game, obviously. You're immersed in it. That's what you're doing. You're, you're there to win. And as, uh, when you're in management, it's, it, it's A, selecting the players, and then it's the contracts, and then it's, it's the whole over... Uh, the overview or, you know, the, the 360 degree view of, of the team and, and kind of prospects and, and draft picks and, and all that stuff and how they all come together, the pieces that fit, the pieces that don't fit. And, and, and that's the exciting part about it. That's the fun part is, is enjoyed that. pieces then come to fruition and come together and, and seeing success and, and then growing together and, and taking that next step and next step and next step. And, um, you know, that's the fun part. I, I wanted to. I wanted to. Yeah, I want. I want. I wanted to ask this earlier because I, I have vivid memories of playing NHL '99 in college, sitting in our house uh, off campus in Buffalo, and and playing with you. Is it surreal to play video games with with you in it? And like the same thing now with your kids going back to those games. I don't. I don't play video games. I, I'm terrible. I mean, you had to at least try it once and try yourself on the ice. Uh, yeah, I may have played back then. Uh, I don't play now. There's too many buttons. I used yeah. to have like an Atari, Sega, two-button guy. Yeah. Th now I try to play the Nintendo Switch with my kids, and I'm trying. there's like 30 buttons on yeah, it. No, you got a two thumbs or two fingers and thumbs, and I'm like, oh, God, two joysticks. Yeah. It's, it's, way, it's way too complicated. Yeah. So let, let's, let's, let's bring the story up to the present, and I want to talk about Well-Inspired Travels, which, was in, which is inspired by your wife's father and his affinity for traveling during his time battling cancer. And you used traveling um, during your career, especially post-hockey, as a therapeutic and a grounding force. Please share the story, the background for everyone out there. Yeah, I think, you know, for, for us, you know, post-career, post, post -career, trying to get healthy, uh, we, we traveled a fair amount just to get away and, and kind of um, get away from it all, get, you know, get, get to a beach, get to a warm, sunny climate and, and feel the sun on your face and, and, you know, work out a little bit, have good food and just kind of get away from the stresses of life and, and continue to work on your health. Um, it, it was, a, you know, there was obviously a lot going on the first year, year and a half when I was hurt. 
is he coming back? You know, what's his health like? He looks good. You know, that type of stuff. Looks can, you know, be deceiving. Uh, you don't really know what's going on in somebody's head and, and how they feel or their eyes, et cetera. So, you know, that could get frustrating at times when people are always asking, like, hey, when you come back and you look great. And I'm like, yeah, I look great because I'm in shape. Yeah, I, feel great. <laughs> I don't know about this part, but, uh, you know, I think that's that's the issue that that players struggle with is that it's it's not cut and dry. One player can come back in two weeks, four weeks, six weeks. Another guy, it takes a year, year and a half. Some guys never. And. And, and that's, there's no, that's not a broken arm. He's out four weeks or he's out six weeks. Broken leg, he's out two months, whatever. There's no definite time frame. It, it's very uh, inordinary and, and, and it's, it, it, it can be, fans don't understand sometimes that, you know, they want you to play. They want to watch you. And, and I get yeah, that. You're a human. You're you a know, human. You're not a robot. That. Exactly. So they don't, you know, there's a human element to it, you know, that, that they probably don't understand because they're fans and, and they're passionate about their teams. And they want you there. They want you. They want You're a winner. You're exactly. a leader. They want you so, on the ice. So it's a matter of, you know, extra, extricating yourself from that situation and, you know, getting away and traveling a little bit would kind of, you know, the way to decompress and, and get away and, and continue to work on your health. And, and so, uh, you know, that was a, a, a great way to get healthy. Uh, obviously a, a luxury to be able to do that uh, and forever grateful for Mr. Snyder for allowing me to do that, to get healthy and, 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 and get back to me. Uh, you know, it took a couple of years to, to, to kind of get through the vestibular issues, the eye issues, the concussion symptoms and, and things like that. Uh, you know, when I was like 40, 41 before I started to feel half decent. So, um, and, and wasn't triggered as much by some of my, um some of the things that were you know the symptoms and and so um you know it, it really helped a, a great deal where where's been some of your favorite places to travel well we had fairly young kids at the time so you know we weren't going too far we were staying in you know we'd go to the caribbean we go to the we go to grand cayman we go to turks we go to um you know we go to florida we go to california we go to you know just places where it's a little bit warmer Fun for the kids. And, and we're able to, you know, kind of get off the grid and, and you know, just kind of hang out and relax, have some good food, work out, get some sun, decompress, uh, and then go it. back and get back into the grind. So so what's it like working with your wife and, and building a, a business together? And what makes it different and unique? Well-inspired travels. Uh, it, it all, you know, as everyone might know it, it poses its challenge but it's also great you get to to build something together you get to be passionate about something uh together and 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 see it kind of grow into to what it's gotten to now um you know it, it's been a lot of fun it is uh ever evolving you know it, it, you start the business start kind of uh getting up and running and and starting going and and COVID happens and you're like oh okay then <laughs> <laughs> and then that kind of, you know, we're still doing stuff, but not to the level that you're expecting. Um, and you're trying to figure out how to position the company and things like that. And, and, and it, it also allowed me a lot of time to talk to people and just kind of explain our vision for the company, why, why you may or may not want to use us, why we are a fit for you, and, and maybe you are a fit for us, uh, why you may not be a fit. You know, so you may what, not is, what is that value prop? We may not be a fit for you. Just, you know, we're boutique. We're, you know, we don't want 5,000, 10,000 customer, you know, whatever. We, you know, we're, we're very selective with our time because it is our time. You know, we value our time. We want to make sure that we're, we're immersing ourselves in your lives to get a better understanding of who you are, what you're all about, how best we can help, uh, help you with your travels and, and have successful travel memories with your family you know, with your coworkers, with um, your, your spouse, with, uh, you know, on and on. Maybe you're doing a wellness trip on your own and you need to do whatever. So it's, it's really just kind of getting a better understanding of, of who you are, what you're looking for, who, what you're all about, how we can best serve you and help you have the best experiences possible. And, I love it. and from that, uh, you know, it, it, it then takes off from there. What advice would you give others out there to working with their spouse, significant other? 
Uh, oh, don't. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Um, <laughs> have, no, do you have like I, separation I, of church and state? Like when you say you and your wife yeah, are going out for a date yeah, night, and you're like, you we're not talking it, work. It can't be 24 seven. You got kids. You got dinner table. You got. You need to get away from that and get back to family. Get back to you know figuring out what's going on with everybody. Uh, you, you do need a separation, hundred percent, and, and you also need to listen. Like it, it's a partnership, and just like everything else uh, in life, and you have to listen. I don't know everything. I don't, you know, I got my blind spots just like everybody else does. And and sometimes as you talk through things, you're like, oh, I never thought of it that way. And and so you're able to kind of really look at what the client is looking for and and needs or wants. And as you're talking it through, you're like, oh, that actually makes sense. Yeah, that actually makes way more sense than what I thought. And so, you know, when you get two different ways of looking at things, and, and sometimes three and four with our staff, uh, you're able to really provide a much better service and provide a much better experience because you're looking at it in a number of different lights and you're able to kind of troubleshoot on the fly before something even happens. Fascinating. What else is uh, interesting to you these days? What are you, what else are you working on? What are you building? Uh, you know, working on a few investments. Uh, you know, talking about a few things. I got a whiskey coming out soon. My ears just perked uh, up. I'm a whiskey. I'm a brown spirits guy, Chris. Tasty. Uh, the journey whiskey will be out in stores very very soon. Uh, it is. Uh, we're excited. We've uh, we've been having a few random taste tests around uh i was in toronto last week and everybody that had it was raving about it so hopefully uh hopefully that takes off we're excited about it it's it's going to be uh, a fun project to do with my brother my brother and i are doing that and then uh you know just other interesting things that kind of get brought to me where uh you know you kind of look through it and get some other things coming down the pipe as well I love it. And, and we're going to table that. I'm going to talk to you about the whiskey. I got something interesting to tell you about that afterwards. So let's let's bring it home here. Um, and Chris, I, I, I love talking to folks from different walks of life, different backgrounds, whether it be uh, entertainment, celebrities, uh, technology, entrepreneurs. And I ask them all the same two last questions. And the first one is, Chris, what is the single greatest piece of advice that you've ever received that you take action on daily? Whether it be something when you wake up in the morning, you say to yourself, something to keep you focused. Uh, the greatest piece of advice I received, and it's from two of my mentors when I got hurt in Philly, uh, you know, I got hurt and I was down and I, then I was struggling and I, I, I called my two mentors. They flew in almost simultaneously, you know, back to back and sat down with me. And both of them said the same thing, which is tell, very telling the first year you're out, don't do anything. Don't agree to do, you know, you're going to get hit up by all these different charities and philanthropical efforts that, you know, want you to be a part of their organizations. You're going to be hit up by this business. You're going to get hit up by this investment. Don't do anything. You're not going to be thinking straight. You're going to want to jump into everything. You're not going to have a, an understanding of, you know, is it a passion? Do you really want to do it? And so for the first year, I said, no, I, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I just was like, and and from that, you're you know you're taking a list of of everybody that's kind of come at you with something, and you're just kind of writing them all down and doing your research and kind of thinking it through. And does it make sense? Do you have the time? Do you want to invest your time? And so from that, it, it actually allowed me to to really kind of get out of my own head, create some processes, and and have the ability to kind of look at things and go, okay, actually that makes sense, and and. That's a great fit because here's what I'm passionate about. Here's what I want to do. As you sit back, start getting healthy, start going through things. And, and it was an incredibly thoughtful and, and smart with both of them having gone through it a couple of times. <laughs> you know, I think they, they had Very learned nice. their lesson and, and imparted some tremendous wisdom on me. Uh, and, and, uh, and every player that I talked to and every person I talked to when, you know, maybe they sell their company or they, you know, they're leaving the game of some, whatever. I'm like, don't do anything. Here's great advice that I was given that served me well. Don't do anything for a year. You're going to jump into something. It may not be a fit. You're going to have, you know, if it's a business, you might lose money. You might struggle, you know, with your partnership, whatever is going on. 
uh, just think it through, have your wits about you. Don't rush into things right off the bat. And uh, it's been impressive and, and very uh, good to me. <laughs> and I think the beautiful part about it is that you pay that advice forward. You, yeah. you share that wisdom upon others. So Chris, last but not least, you look back on your life and your career and you think about those tough times, those hard times when you were struggling, when you were down on the ice, looking up, when you got that stick to the eye and you didn't know whether you were going to play again. You didn't know what was next for you. And you had to pull yourself up and you had to pull yourself forward. And in the same breath, Chris, when you look back now with gratitude at this life that you built, your family, your wife, the legacy that you're going to leave is one of the greatest freaking NHL players of all time and great father, great husband. What keeps you in focus? What is your compass? Chris Pronger, what is your North Star in life? Well, I think first and foremost, my family and, and you know, our kids and my wife and, and kind of what we've built together. Uh, she was a part of the second half of my career. And, uh, you know, and then and watching our kids and being there, being there to, to be a good father, a good husband. Um, you know, I worked incredibly hard to, to be the player that I was and, and um, you know, been able to use that to springboard me to have the, the luxury to pick and choose what I want to spend my time on. And, and, and so that, that has given me a, a lot of leeway in being around for my kids, being there for their sports, you know, their school plays and school things. And, and so uh, being able to pick them up a carpool, take, drop them off and, and all that kind of stuff that most people don't have the opportunity to because they got to go to work, because they got to travel, because they got to do whatever. And, and having been there to be able to, um, you know, be a, a full-time dad for most of it, it. You, know, you know, a couple the, the two older ones, you know, obviously I was still playing for a little bit in, in Anaheim and Philly, but, um, you know, my daughter was very young when I got injured. So, uh, she didn't have to worry about that. I was always around when she, when she was, uh, uh starting school. So I'm Having that luxury is pretty, uh, is, is incredible. Great perspective. It's gotta be fun when, uh, Chris Pronger is your carpool dad coming to pick up, pick the daughter from dance practice. Uh, (laughs) Chris, I want to, I want to, I want to thank you for choosing to spend time with me and my audience. It's been an honor. It's been a pleasure. I love sharing your story. Um, I wish you the best of luck with all your future endeavors. Keep inspiring everybody out there. I want everyone to check out wellinspiredtravels.com and and the post.co. Also, I didn't, I didn't get to touch on that. Um, for that, where, yeah. where else can folks find you? Where can they connect with you? Where can they learn more? Uh, let's see. I'm on Instagram at, that's a good Chris question. Pronger. I think it's Chris Pronger. I don't know. Yeah. I've got, I just tagged you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I am, uh, at, Chris Pronger. The Chris, at the Chris Pronger on Instagram go. at the Chris Pronger on Twitter at Chris Pronger, uh, on Instagram at well inspired travels. Uh, and, uh, on Instagram at the journey j r n y whiskey without an e and uh and also on uh, twitter with the journey and uh, we'll be we'll be rolling out we're a coming soon brand but we'll be rolling out all our uh, initiatives here shortly cool everyone stay in touch with that chris pronger hang with me for one moment here everyone I hope you enjoyed this show. Sharing means caring. If you liked it, leave a review, a rating. It goes a long way. Remember, you can find us more at thepodcast.com, all the social media channels. Remember, take care of each other. Look out for one another and catch us next week for another great episode of the podcast. Take care, everybody. Wisdom is forever. But for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon. Jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search The Pausecast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com.